This episode is sponsored by Peak Sales Recruiting. If you're trying to find your next top performer and you know you're just wasting time digging through bad resumes, then visit peaksalesrecruiting.com slash Ian to learn how they can help. Hey, it's Ian Altman. My guest this week is Jim Cathcart. Jim is a living legend. He's the author of 18 books, a member of the Sales and Marketing Hall of Fame and the Professional Speaker Hall of Fame. In addition to being just an overall great guy, Jim's got tremendous insight when it comes to sales. We're going to talk about the biggest problems when it comes to sales and marketing, the relics of the bygone era in sales. We're going to talk about why cold calls shouldn't be cold calls and why your goal should not be closing. You're going to learn a ton, I know I did, from Jim Cathcart. Jim Cathcart, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here, Ian. Thank you. I am absolutely thrilled to have you here. Can you share something surprising that our audience may not know about you? I've got three items. One, I play rock and roll music and sing. Uh, I do that professionally. I've been doing it for at least the last eight years. My wife and I perform in you know, special events and wine bars and nightclubs and things like that. Two, I'm a lifetime member of the American Motorcyclists Association, and I've ridden motorcycles over a large portion of the world. And um, number three, I run mountain trails three days a week. Really? Mm-hmm. Three times a week. In the Santa Monica Mountains. Beautiful. Well, I know right about now there's a bunch of fires out there as we're recording this. Yeah, so hopefully, uh, I can see them from my house. Hopefully, you're uh, you're staying safe. I know that it's uh, really devastating out there right now. I mean, I see those, and I grew up, you know, not far from where you are. So as the, as I'm hearing this on the news, based on the East Coast, you know, people are saying, "Oh, do you know where those areas are?" I said, I've driven through those areas, you know, tons of times. Yeah. Well, the Thomas Fire is the one nearest us. Yeah. And it's it's epic. It is just overwhelmingly massive. Yeah, it's uh, crazy stuff. Yeah, so yeah. so one of the things I'd love to get your insight into and your your expertise and depth of knowledge when it comes to sales and marketing is something that I have tremendous respect for. And Thank you. what do you see as the biggest mistake that organizations and individuals make when it comes to how they approach sales? Uh, listening to their grandfather. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, metaphorically, of course, yep. but because I'm a grandfather and my grandson should listen to me. Um, but listening to the previous era uh, attitudes toward what selling is about. You know, we were all taught that the selling was about income. Selling's not about income. Income's a tool. Income's an outcome. You know, yep. uh, it, it, if someone says the purpose of business is money, they don't get it. That's not the reason business exists. That's something business will do for you is provide revenue. You know, if you want to grow your revenue, you don't go focus on revenue. You go focus on the value you're providing to people who can pay for it. And and the whole point of it is the purpose of business is to make life better. For whom? Well, it depends on the business. You know, in medicine, it's about saving lives. And in, in uh, automobiles, it's about providing luxury transportation or cool transportation or dependable, you know, and, and so forth. So every business has a reason for existing, but it's never money, not even banking. That's not the purpose of banking. The yep. purpose of banking is to give people control over their money, 
over how fast it grows, over what nature the money, what form it takes, over how accessible it is, you know, things like that. Um, if people understood clearly that the purpose of business is to let, make life better, then everything would be communicated in a different way. And every employee at every level would have more of a sense of an, like an emotional investment in the meaning of what they do instead of a burden of doing the process of what they do. I love the way you share that. There's a concept I'll often talk to organizations about where I say, look, so if you think of the buyer-seller interaction as a race and the starting block is initial contact, what do you think the finish line is? And people will often say the sale. And yeah. I say, okay, let's assume you believe that. So what if you ask your client the same question? What would they say? <laughs> and it usually takes a little bit of time. And they go, well, I get, some people will say delivery, and then eventually they get to results. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, it is the result. So yeah, if, you're focused, yeah, if you're focused on the sale and the client is focused on results, can you see where they're not aligned? Yeah, and that's see, what, th th what happens is the salespeople come back to you and me, and they say, yeah, 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 that, that's fine, but the reason I've got this job is it pays more than that job. And so I'm all about the money, and I want to make the money. Well, so do I. So yeah. does everybody. You know, But the mentality is what determines where the energy flows and how it flows. And let me, let me point out two things that I think are huge uh, relics of a bygone era. And these are two things we're going to be dealing with throughout the balance of our lives, but it's a shame that we, we, that we have to. Relics of a bygone era, cold calls and closing sales. Now, what do you mean, Jim? You've got to make calls on people you don't know yet. Yeah, but why make them cold? Yep. Well, you need to make them warm calls. No, that's just silly. They are new calls. They are first calls. Yep. They're not cold unless you decide to make them cold. Yep. There's nothing cold about them until you impose that thinking going into it. So it's a first call or a new call. Why not call it that? Yep. And it's like, and then people say, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is how you think about, ergo, feel about what you're about to do. If it's a first call or a new call, what's the purpose of the call? Purpose of the call is to find out, for Jim to find out if Ian is a likely buyer. Yeah. Someone I could actually help. If he's not, we have a nice conversation, we're done. If he is, we have a nice conversation and we keep going. Yep. Okay. So that's the purpose of the first contact. And then it comes to the point of, of closing sales. Well, first off, closing, if you look it up in a dictionary, has a specific meaning. <laughs> to shut, to end, to finalize. Yep. Well, from a buyer's point of view, when you buy a car, is buying that car the last step? Not no. even close, yeah. The ownership of that car for as long as you keep it is the last step. And so buying that car is simply the initiation process. What are you going to call it? Starting the sale? No. Call it what it is, confirming the purchase, confirming the sale. Because confirming is a perfectly useful word, but it's not in common use in a sales context. So everybody says closing and your mind interprets closing to mean, I don't know, closing. Nothing closes. Yep. It, it confirms and then it initiates the next phase. So if we saw it as confirming the sale, 
we wouldn't say, did you close that guy? It's such a powerful way to look at it. And it's something that time and time and again, I'm interested to get your take on this. One of the things I'll explain to people is, look, if you help your client realize that the problem that they're facing is significant, and if the client believes that you have the best chance of delivering the solution that they need, they will yeah. quote unquote close or confirm you because yeah. they're going to say, well, look, I've got this problem that's really significant and I believe you can help. So will you help us? Yeah. It's not about some clever manipulative tactic. No, and, and in fact, you know, I, I'm a firm believer. And as you and I talk, I think, man, you know, at some point I must have gotten all this stuff from you, Jim. And um, it's, yeah. you know, the, it's the notion of effective selling. It's not about persuasion or coercion. It's about uncovering the truth as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. and, and it's about sharing the, the concern. You know, if I'm not concerned about uh, my financial uh, circumstances, that doesn't mean I don't have a need. It means I'm, th that need has not been made obvious to me or activated. Yep. So I don't feel an emotional connection with it to where I would step up to take action and buy insurance or or change my investment portfolio or do whatever I need to do to be financially safe again. So when I'm making a sales contact with someone, I'm not thinking about a sale. I'm thinking about how I can be of the highest value to them, value being something worth paying for. Yep. And so I look I probe and I look for areas of need and areas of want. And I find a lot of times that they're not compatible. Sure. Like, like one of my friends called me several years ago before we knew each other. And she was the uh, executive uh, what was, general manager of a large country club with 225 employees. And it's a big, you know, big name country club. And she said, would you come in and do a motivational speech for my staff? And I said, well, tell me about what you're trying to accomplish. And she said, well, you know, the departments aren't communicating with each other very well. And, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of internal turmoil. And I, I just like to have people more engaged in what they're doing. I said, can I come meet with you? She said, sure. So I went in and I did like a half hour of just uh, analyzing what her needs were. And I said, i don't think you ought to have me come give a motivational speech. She said, aren't you a motivational speaker? I said, yeah, that's what I do. But what you need is to reorient the thinking of your 225 people, especially toward each other and what they're paid to do. And she said, well, how do we do that? And I outlined a program that ended up being a year-long signature training program that we put in place that they could continue without me after it was put in place. And w within the first month, we had every department communicating with e each other in a cooperative way. And by the end of it, the whole atmosphere in that organization had been transformed. So she didn't want that going in. What she wanted was a motivational speech. Yep. But what she needed was a solution. And that's, that's selling. And I love that because it's about helping the client navigate to the right solution for them. And I think it's something that's often lost on people. Because, And I think that, candidly, business owners and leaders sometimes are at fault. I was speaking with a group and the principal of the organization impressed upon his team, look, the, the way we're going to succeed is everyone here is going to make 65 cold calls a day. 
<laughs> and he looked at me and said, well, don't you think that's the right formula? And I said, well, it depends what you're trying to do. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, if your goal is to maximize the number of phone calls you make, I think that's a great strategy. <laughs> if your goal is to grow your business and identify the best target clients who you can help the most, then I don't think the way to measure it is by number of dials. Mm -mm. And instead, what if you – so you can call 65 people you may or may not be able to help, but what if you could figure out the 15 you could really make an impact for? And we just focused our time – so instead of the time it takes to call 65 people, what if you did enough research, worked through your contacts, and you only contacted eight, but all eight were worth your time? You bet. You bet. And, and by the way, I think the problem is – when you're just making 65 calls, you're not invested in the person you're contacting. You're not thinking, who can I help the most? You're thinking, well, someone's going to measure how many calls I'm making, so I better make five right. more. They call them robocalls for a purpose. Yeah. You know, because people making them, uh, whether it's a machine or a person, they both behave as robots. Yep. And no, no human factor uh, required. Just create sound. Phone rings. Hey, how are you, uh, Ian? Oh, I'm sorry, Ian. Okay, Ian, how are you today? Well, you don't care how he's doing today. You just want to make your pitch, right? And so then it's, you know, and he keeps trying to interrupt you to say, I've, you know, my mother's dying and the house is on fire and the dog's biting me. Uh, you know, and, and you'd say, yeah, yeah, but, you know, and then we'll send you on this cruise. And it, with the cruise, all you've got to do is sit through a presentation and we will – golly. Exactly. How do people come to the conclusion that that's a smart way to build a business? And in contrast, I'll give you a story. There's a, there's a local bank called Eagle Bank. And I'll mention this woman's name. She's phenomenal. She's vice president of business development. Her name is Jenny. And so Jenny is absolute rock star. And over the years, I've contacted Jenny on several occasions saying, hey, Jenny, here's what we're trying to do. We're doing this renovation. And Jenny would say, oh, that's great. Sounds really exciting. We're probably not the best solution for you today for that. Here's the way you, here's the way you may want to approach it with these people or those people. I said, okay, mm -hmm. here's the way I would present it with this bank or that bank. And lo and behold, now I'm doing some things with the business. And I said, you know what, Jenny, I, you know, I think it's time for us to open an account with you. And, and Jenny's first comment was, <laughs> well, do you think it's going to be, is it worthwhile for you to change banks? Cause it's going to be a little bit of a hassle. And mm -hmm. I said, no, I really think it is. And she said, look, I'd love to help you. I just want to make sure that you thought this through. And I said, great. Mm -hmm. So they have a payroll system through the bank. And so my accountant also suggested a new payroll system. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, Jenny, here are the two things. What do you think? And she said, well, you know what? It really doesn't make a big difference to us. But if your accountant is more comfortable with the other one and the costs are pretty much the same – I would think I'd go with the one that's more comfortable for your accountant. Mm -hmm. And as Jenny does this, I'm trying to figure out more ways of sending more business to Jenny because she's always operating with integrity and always trying to figure out what's in the best interest of the client, not what's in the best interest of our business. Yeah. And by the way, they happen to be the same. Right. But that's, that's an enlightened mentality that most people don't achieve because – they don't focus on why the business exists and how it makes life better. They focus on how the business flows and the process of doing the steps. 
people have called me over the years and said, Jim, you wrote the book Relationship Selling. Can you teach my people to be better, clo- strong closers? <laughs> yes, I can. And no, I won't. <laughs> what? You won't? No. Because the last thing your customers want is strong closers. Strong closers are carnivores. You don't want you don't want people that go out there and eat any resistance that comes at them. What you want is people that go out there and connect with people in such a way that they don't ever stop doing business with you. And they readily refer you to other people and they, you know, they buy more without resistance and and, uh, all of that. Yeah, yeah, that's what we want. Strong closer. No, 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 no. Stop the strong closers part. I can help your people sell more. But it won't be by teaching them the 15 power closes. It'll by, you know, if a person says, no, I don't think so. Uh, no, not today. Uh, let me talk to someone else. Or uh, yeah, it's an awful lot of money. Uh, well, I'm going to have to get approval. If they're saying that to you, what they're telling you is, I don't trust you enough yet, or you don't really get it what our needs are, or you're pushing a little bit too hard for the urgency that we feel on this matter, or that's not the process that we were going to follow. We wanted to do this in increments. Or we wanted to do this all in a lump and you're suggesting increments or whatever it happens to be. In other words, if you're connecting with a person, assessing their needs, and having a dialogue about how to solve their problem had been better, confirming the sale would be natural and easy. If not, then you get all the standard pushback. Yeah, it's funny. When people spend all this time talking about how do I overcome objections, one of the things I say is, well, you're assuming – Don't create them. A, don't create them, and B, you're assuming that they're not valid, and they might be. Yeah. So imagine if instead you said to this prospect, you said, well, so I know it's really important that you get this sort of result. Let's put our heads together and figure out what would prevent you from getting that result. And now we're starting to think about what would impede their ability to get that result. Well, if together Mm -hmm. you conclude that you can overcome everything that would impede that result, in the end, the client's going to say, so how do we get started? And they they will confirm the deal with you. And I love that idea of confirm rather than close. Yeah, because confirm is 100% the right word if you look it up. Absolutely. And close is not. I love that. The top performing salespeople and leaders you're looking to hire for your team aren't looking for a job right now. They are totally content crushing their numbers for somebody else. The folks at Peak Sales Recruiting will identify those amazing candidates and help them understand why they'd be happier working for you than for somebody else. Visit peaksalesrecruiting.com slash Ian to learn more. So what are the things that business leaders can do and what are the things that sales professionals can do to help change this mindset for their team so that they're approaching things the way that, you know, you and I, I don't think we would necessarily say yeah. there's a right and a wrong way. It's just this way tends to be highly effective and the other ways perhaps not so much. Yeah. Well, one of the things is to recognize, like you and I have been discussing, that language matters. People say, no, nah, it's just a word. It's just linguistics. It's just semantics. No, it's not. Words are symbols of meaning. If I say dog, it, d- it never causes you to think of a cathedral, <laughs> ever, you know. If, if I say cathedral, you never think of a little country church. Yeah. Words have specific meanings. If you want a meaning to be conveyed, you use the right word. For example, we talked about 
cold versus new calls. There's a difference. We talked about close versus confirm the sale. There's a difference. Here's another one. Objections. If a person objects to doing business with you, you're already adversaries. Yep. It's gone too far. So what are you going to say? Just call them uh, don't want to's or make up some term? No, no. Everyone has a right to be concerned and predictably will be concerned about the price, the timing, the, the quality of the solution, whether it's a complete or a partial solution or no solution, the trustworthiness of the salesperson and the organization they're selling for, the reliability of the product, all of the usual things that were, were on your list anyway, everyone has the right to be concerned about those. The only reason they would object to buying from you is because you allowed one of those areas to go unaddressed too long in your dialogue and they finally get to the point where, look, you're asking me to buy. I'm not going to buy. You don't even resolve that. Yep. So what's the difference between a concern and objection? The degree to which it has festered and grown into a problem. Sure. If you address it while it's a concern, a predictable concern in almost every case, then it goes away when it comes time to confirm the purchase. I love it. And let me ask you this, because this is something, and I'm okay I'm okay if you totally disagree with this. One of the beliefs I have is that, look, when your client isn't making a decision, they either believe that the impact of not solving the problem isn't really that big of a deal, or they don't believe that you're the best people to deliver the results they need, or mm -hmm. both. Yeah. Because when they do believe both, they will push you to make the deal happen. Mm-hmm. You remember Zig Ziglar? Sure. Well, Zig was a good friend of mine. And I remember the first time I ever heard him speak when I was still a budding young speaker. It was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They introduced him and he came out on the stage. And to give you an idea how long ago this was, he had on a yellow leisure suit. You know what? <laughs> I, I just had to retire mine. But uh... <laughs> Finally. Well, anyway, Zig came out on stage in this this bizarre outfit, which was appropriate to the times. And um, he looked at the audience and his opening statement was this. He didn't say good morning, good afternoon. He looked at us, stood in the center of the platform, and he said there are five reasons and five reasons only why your customer would not buy from you today. No need, no trust, no authority, no money, or no hurry. And then that was the outline of the rest of his talk. And he talked about how to confirm the sale, but he called it closing the sale. It, as a matter of fact, it was called Secrets of Closing the Sale. And that was the book that he had for sale at the same time. So if you think about that, we know in advance, if they don't feel the need for it, they're going to resist. Yep. If they don't trust us or our company or our product, they're going to resist. Uh, if they don't have the authority to make this decision, they're not going to buy. Somebody else would have to. And if, if they uh, don't have the money, then we're going to have to help them find the money or not make a sale. And then finally, if there's no hurry, no sense of urgency, we're either going to have to show them reasons to feel more of a sense of urgency or they're going to say, yeah, but not now. So we know that before we ever even find out who they are. 
and the thing that people need to realize is that this isn't new information we just found out this week. This is information no, that found this out in the 1600s. Yeah, I mean, people. Yeah. It's it's the, it's the same thing. So I always love when people say, "Well, how much has sales changed?" It's like, well, <laughs> it, it hasn't changed that much. It's just when a client has a bad experience. It used to be. 20 years ago, if they had a bad experience, that might tell one, of their, one or two of their friends. And today, if they yeah. have a bad experience, they'll tell a million people they've never even met before. That's right. It's on Yelp and it's on your website and it's on you know, Facebook and everywhere else, Instagram, Snapchat, God knows, you know, before you leave the building. Now, Jim, I'm fascinated as, some, as somebody who you know, you've written 18 books Mm-hmm. bestseller all around the world. And I'm fascinated by this project you have now with Difference Makers. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing with this new book, because I think it's really interesting in how you're creating opportunities for other people to work with you. Yeah, it's really fun for me. I've, I've worked with all the major publishers. You know, I've got books with McGraw-Hill and St. Martin's Press and Prentice Hall and Simon & Schuster and Penguin, Putnam, Berkeley, you know, uh, on ad infinitum. Sure. I've, I've, so I've got books out there doing their thing. Well, CelebrityBrandingAgency.com, which is a company called Dix & Nance uh, Agency, they contacted me and said, we want to do a book project with you where you'll be the featured author and we'll do sort of a chicken soup kind of a book where every chapter's by a different person. But in this case, each person, each co-author will pay a fee to be in the book. But in return for that, they're, they're relieved of all the usual costs of, of writing and creating and publishing and promoting a book. And I said, well, how does this work? And they said, well, you come up with the concept and you're going to write the, you know, the opening of the book and the closing of the book. Um, I said, okay, well then let's make it about difference makers, people and ideas that are changing lives and changing our world. And they said, okay, most anybody can relate to that. So if someone would like to have a best-selling book, Celebrity Branding Agency knows in advance of the publication of this one, that it's going to become an Amazon bestseller in one of the categories. Sure. Because they figured out how to do that. Yep. How to keep it there is a different thing. But how to get it there and qualify for bestseller status, they know how to do that. So they said to me, if a person wants to be in this book, we'll help them create a chapter, 2,500 words approximately, and it'll be about an idea or a person in their life or a, a, you know some influence that's made a difference either for them or that they've seen make a difference in another context. So the buyers of the final book will be inspired by all these stories of different ways that we can touch the lives of each other and, and change the world for the better. And the, the co-authors get the chapter in the book, get professional guidance in creating the chapter. They get a nationwide press release upon signing for the book. Another nationwide press release when the book is published, which would be the summer of 2018. Another nationwide press release when it hits bestseller status a month or two later. And then in September of 2018, they get to come to Hollywood, to the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, to the Thought Leaders Summit, where I and Brian Tracy and others who have books like this and their co-authors all gather together for a big event, red carpet and all that, video, photographs and such. And we're all inducted 
into the Academy of Best-Selling Authors and presented a Quilly Award, which has a, a gold quill, you know, a feather. Sure. Um, and, um, of course, after that, you've got 25 copies, hardcover copies of your new book. You've got the ebook you can send out to people either for sale or for free. Um, you've got your own chapter, which you can use as a promotional piece and, and drop into articles and magazines and such, and then get people to follow a link to buy a copy of the book. You've got the book that you can buy at author price and resell. And, and you've got the status of being a best-selling author, which you can publicize sure. to promote your own business. Even if you're not a typically a speaker and author, you could use it to promote a business, you know, as a banker, a plumber, a, a automobile salesperson. So that's a pretty cool thing. I'm sure there's a certain amount of vetting that you do to make sure it's the right people and the right kind of content in the book. But, you know, as someone who I've written two books and um, I'm working on the third and the fourth right now. And for those people who haven't gone through the process, I assure you that if you're doing it on your own, the notion of hitting that bestseller status, people ask me all the time, well, did you know you were going to hit a bestseller in two books? No. But um, yeah. to take that uncertainty out, certainly a lot of value. And um, Well, plus all the cost of that is easily $20,000 plus. Yeah, I mean, people ask me, well, what do you think it costs? I said, look, you know, every time I've done it with a publisher, without a publisher, I'm easily spending over $20,000 just to produce the book. Yeah. And thankfully, I've produced two books that both were successful bestsellers and made money. But I always tell people, look, it usually didn't work that way, and I didn't expect them to, and I'm just glad they did. This one costs $7,000. Yeah. One-time fee, or a person can pay it in monthly payments over a year or lumps or whatever yeah. they want to. Uh, but the cool thing is the book comes out before they're even done with monthly payments if, yeah. they, if they choose that plan. Um, and so they've automatically got their revenue producer in their hands and ready to produce, to grow their revenue, to use your terminology, <laughs> you know, uh, quickly sure. and painlessly. And um, – so if anyone's interested in that, they just go to my last name, Cathcart, C-A-T-H-C-A-R-T, dot com slash co-author. Cathcart dot com slash co-author, and it, it's all laid out right there, and you just click, I want to apply to be in the book. I love it, and we will add that to the show notes for people. So, thank you. So, Jim, I can't thank you enough for being on the program. Oh, it's so, a treat for me, and thank you. So much great content, and um, you know, really, just I could sit here and talk to you for three weeks, but um, <laughs> but eventually we'd run out of storage as we record these. So, thanks again for joining me. Really been a pleasure, and um, and I can't wait to read the book. Thank you, man. I could talk to Jim for hours on end. It's just such a pleasure. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply in your business right away. I love Jim's idea of cold calling is a relic of the past. And instead, we want to think of it instead of cold calls as first calls because you just don't need to make cold calls anymore. Also, the idea of closing a sale is outdated. Let's talk instead about confirming sales. And recognize that language matters. And by the time you're dealing with overcoming objections, as a lot of people try to teach, it's too late because it's going to become adversarial. Remember, this show gets direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on, like the amazing Jim Cathcart, or a topic you think I should cover, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.